Amen. You may be seated. I want you to take God's word with me, please, and turn to the Old Testament book of Psalms. I'm going to change things up a little bit here. Psalm chapter 27. And just believe the Lord is leading in this way. Psalm 27. I want you to look at this chapter with me, please. In every season of life, there's always someone who's struggling. On even the brightest and best days, there's always someone who's struggling. And sometimes in the midst of our own bliss or our own mountaintop experience, we fail to see that there's someone down there somewhere in the valley. And I wish to encourage you this morning with a, this passage, Psalm 27. Let's read it together. You follow along silently. I'll read from verse number one. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not. Neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's pray again. Father, as we look at thy word this morning, we pray for help. There are many who are very near. Near to that edge 
of fainting, giving up. And we pray that today thy spirit may move powerfully. That although we see the enemy and although we feel the oppression, may we be assured that our God is with us. May we be assured that if we wait on thee, that thou wilt strengthen our heart. We ask, Lord, for a real sense of victory in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 13, I had fainted. I almost nearly just about fainted. Have you ever been there before? To faint means to lose brightness, to grow weak, to lose spirit or courage. I wonder this morning, have you fainted in your walk with Christ? Are you fainting now? Are you losing brightness? Are you growing weak? Do you feel as if you're losing courage or zeal for the Lord Jesus' work? They tell us, I don't know how accurate it is now, but when I first moved to this country nearly 14 years ago, the statistics then were that 35 churches were closing on average every two weeks in the United Kingdom. Think about that. Why? People are fainting year after year. It was on average about 4,000 churches closing in the Western realm of Christianity every year. Think about that. The enemy is at the wall and we're frightened. Many are frightened to death and many are fainting. We see it everywhere, don't we? We see people who once were walking with God and now today they're nowhere to be found. Or they once were walking strong and now they're walking in a very weak and anemic way. They once were so dedicated, so zealous, so energetic for the things of God and now they are a half, halfway Christian, a part-time nominal Christian. And there are so many tactics that Satan uses against the child of God to make us want to quit. It's an interesting concept and thought. Satan cannot make you quit. Do you know that? Satan cannot stop you. But what he can do is fill your mind and heart with so many thoughts and pressures that you want to quit yourself. You just give up. And there are a number of things that come to mind. The pressure of living in a materialistic society. The challenge of broken homes. He's always waging war on the family. Always. The burden of grief or heartache or sorrow because you lost someone or something difficult took place. Or the frailty of the human body. I was just walking in town just casually the other day with some of the men and, and wasn't watching my step and turned my ankle and, and, um, and it reminded me how frail and weak the body really is and how that kind of a, just a little turn can affect so much. And the list goes on and on. 
Have you ever felt like quitting? David did. King David, the man after God's own heart, felt like throwing in the towel. We know he wrote this psalm. It's given to us there in the title. And I know on more than one occasion, David felt like quitting. There is always a potential to quit. There's enough pressure in the world to make you want to give up and to make you faint. Look at a few things in our text. Verse number two. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh. Meaning David felt like he was being ripped apart. You ever felt like that? And I don't know just exactly what enemy he was referring to, but there are so many enemies in this life. And by the way, the enemies are not people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There are ideologies that are our enemies. There are things being propagated and pushed in society that are our enemies, no doubt about it. And sometimes the pressure of living in such a wicked and twisted society is a constant pool and drain, isn't it? You feel like you're being ripped apart. Though a host, a whole army, should encamp against me. You ever felt surrounded? Not just being ripped apart by enemies, but then being surrounded. Everywhere you look, there's nothing but an enemy. Everywhere you turn, somebody's on your case. No, you can't even feel like you can't even breathe. I wish, some people really don't, don't understand this, and I know that, and that's why I try to be very patient. But everybody's got an idea. You know that? Do look here for a moment. Everybody here in this church has an idea of how the church ought to be run. And do you know everybody's idea is different? But nobody understands that. They think they're the only ones with an idea, and they think their idea is right. Now, you try looking at two to three hundred people who have two to three hundred different ideas about how a church ought to be run, and they all think their way is right, and if you don't follow their way, they get upset. And then you try putting yourself in the shoes of those who want to lead. It's difficult. People send text messages and emails and say, well, this is what you should do, and this is, and I just thank you. Sometimes I just smile and say thank you. People just don't realize And in our human nature, we feel like we all have it right. We know best and everybody else is wrong. That's just human nature. And David had been surrounded by a host. And the scriptures say at war, not just a host, but then war would rise against me. Not only did he feel surrounded, it's not bad if you're surrounded by friends. That's not a bad thing. But if you're surrounded by those who want to make war with you, Whew. David's thinking, I've started a war. And then he goes on. What are some other problems? Verse 10, when my father and mother forsake me. Have you ever been forsaken by loved ones? People you thought loved you, people you thought were with you, and then forsaken by them? He's writing a list of the challenges that he was going through. Verse number 12, deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies. Look what he says, for false witnesses are risen up against me. And then add on top of that, people who are making up a load of rubbish. Look, there's enough true about me that you can work with. You don't have to make up a load of rubbish. And I'm sure that's what David felt like. 
And David had all of these things that were all against him at one time. No wonder, he said, I had almost fainted. No wonder people today are feeling the pressure of living in such, by the way, the internet, although it can be used for good, has also added a new degree of pressure. Because everybody's watching everybody. It used to be just the government was watching us. Now we get to watch everybody. You get to watch everybody's lives on Facebook and Twitter and everything else. And, and you've got to keep up with the Joneses and, and, and everybody's watching everything. Constant pressure. No wonder suicide rates are at an all-time high. The pressure. I had fainted. I would have fainted. I nearly fainted. But look here. He didn't. And you don't have to either. There was just one thing that kept him from throwing in the towel. I had fainted unless, I've underlined that word, I would have fainted unless, unless what? What was the big thing that rescued him from throwing in the towel? By the way, the scriptures tell us in the last days there will be a great falling away. So that ought to make your knees tremble a little bit. It ought to make you sit up straight and and, uh, watch your walk and walk circumspectly and examine yourself. It ought to make you look a little closer in the mirror of God's word because in these days, it will become more and more normal to see people who once called themselves Christians falling away. Some call it the great apostasy. It's happening. People who you never thought would walk away from the faith are walking away. I would have fainted unless the only thing that will keep you from fainting when the enemy is at the wall is there in verse 13, unless I had believed. Faith. Unless I had believed. Much Much of our problem today is a faith problem. I was praying with a dear sister uh, this week about a, uh, a problem in the home and the family. We were praying and I said, I believe, I, re- I, re- I was reminded of that passage when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration. And if you remember, he, while he was up there, his disciples were trying to cast out the, the devil out of that little boy. And they couldn't do it. When he came down, there was a great crowd gathered around and, and the disciples said, we tried. And the man said, look, your disciples couldn't do this. And Jesus said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. And then afterwards, he cast the devil out, and then the the disciples said, how come we couldn't do it? And Jesus said, this kind cometh not forth but by prayer and fasting. Now, I always thought that he was talking about the devil. That demon couldn't come out except by prayer and fasting. But I read one commentator once who said this. Actually, he said, perhaps Christ was referring to the unbelief. Because the problem on the scene was not the devil, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the problem is not the enemy, because the almighty one, the all-powerful one, lives inside of us. The problem was with the disciples who just didn't believe they could do it. And so perhaps Jesus was also referring, this kind cometh not forth, but by prayer and fasting. This unbelief, let's deal with that first, by prayer and fasting. I would have fainted unless I had believed. Sometimes we just don't believe. Sometimes we just don't believe we're ever going to be any different. 
We just don't believe we're ever going to have victory over this sin. Sometimes we just don't believe that things are ever going to get any better in our own Christian lives. And because of our unbelief, we stay right where we are and we feel like quitting. Because who wouldn't want to quit if you're stuck in a rut? Tozer said a rut was nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. I'm in a bit of a rut. No, you're in a coffin. Get out of it. We get there and we don't believe we're going to get out. But David said, I would have fainted. I would have given up. And the reason so many do give up because they don't believe. You see, the world's philosophy of life is always different than the Christian's philosophy of life. You know what the world says? The world says see, seeing is believing. That's what they say. They say, uh, if I, I'll believe it when I see it. Have you heard that before? Seeing is believing. But the Christian says believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. The world says, you let me see it and I'll believe. I'm going to get this spider here. Before it distracts too many more people. The Christian says, believing. If you have faith, you'll see it. If Jesus said over and over, if you have faith to move a mountain, you'll move it. If you have faith to cast out this devil, you'll do it. And so the big problem for many of us is faith. If I were to base my decisions solely upon what I see, then I'd have thrown the towel in a long time ago, wouldn't you? If I based my decisions for following Jesus Christ and living for God and, and doing the right thing, if I did that based upon what I see or saw, I would have quit. I would have waved the white flag a long time ago. But as a born-again child of God, we base our decisions and our reactions upon what we believe to be true about God our Father, not upon what we see. For we walk by faith, not by sight. There's the difference. The world walks not by faith, but by sight. The Christian cannot walk by sight. You can't. That's the difference between the flesh and the spirit. That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. For we look not on things that are temporal, but on things that are eternal. Because the things that we see now are perishing. Look, if you don't believe that, then take out a photograph of yourself 10 years ago. I'm sorry, but you no longer have the body of a God. You thought you did. It's gone. It's headed downhill because we're perishing. Everything you can see is perishing. But the things that are eternal, the things that really matter, you can't see. And I would have fainted unless I had believed to see God is all sufficient he's everything we need do you believe it money is not what we need although we could use a little bit health is not what we need although we enjoy it when we've got it laborers are not even what we need although we could do with some more laborers a bigger building or a, or a permanent building is not what we need no what we need is God himself and do you know, if you have God, if we have God, we, it doesn't matter. We would be happy in the pouring rain. 
God is all we need. And if you and I can just get to him, we'll know that it'll all be okay. This is why David writes in verse 4, One thing have I desired. Not a pay raise, not a new car, not, a, uh, not good health. One thing have I desired. That I, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to live where God lives. That's what he was saying. He wasn't saying he wanted to go and move into the church. No, no. He was saying, I want to dwell where God dwells. I want to be where his presence is. I want to live consistently and constantly in the presence of almighty God. I want it. I'll seek after it. And when I get it, I don't want to lose it. By the way, Jesus Christ alone can give you the presence of God. Because no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And it's through Christ that we have access into the throne room of God. All the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We read it a moment ago in Colossians. What refreshing comes from his presence? What strengthening comes from his presence? What relief? Can you imagine if I could just get into the, to the place where God dwells, if I could just get into the Holy of Holies where God himself is found, then I don't care how many enemies are out there. I don't care how many bows and arrows and guns and I don't care how many emails and I don't care. I don't care how many text messages. I don't care how many people are against me. If God be for me, who can be against me? And David said, I just want to get alone with God. That's it. So many are turning to other things today for relief from their problems. If you're struggling with depressing thoughts or dark thoughts, then the world says, think happy thoughts. And if that doesn't work, here's medication. You need medication. Speaking to a brother a number of years ago who had been on a number number of different antipsychotic medications for a number of years, And he said, all they do is dim down the thoughts, but the thoughts are still there. The voice is still there. It's just been dimmed down. So now I'm like a walking zombie with still having these thoughts, still having these voices, just deep in the background. The world's idea of dealing with all of these obstacles, some say hit the bottle. Bit of drink will help you. Drugs, relationships. There's one answer for you. The presence of God. One answer. What power is found in his presence? David knew that. What relief is found from the burdens? You don't have to carry your burdens alone. You don't have to carry them at all. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. But it's not enough just to believe that he can. Listen to this. It's not enough for you to believe that God can take your problems away. We must believe that he wants to. You must believe in his goodness. That's what he says. I had fainted. I would have given up unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. 
Unless I had believed that God was good and not just that he was good, but that he was good to me. What good is it to believe God's good if you don't believe he's good to you? What good is it to believe God's powerful if that power never touches you? What good is it? What good is it if you believe God can heal, but he's not going to heal you? That's a bit of useless information. Somehow we've got to take our theological ideas and make them intensely personal and practical. Otherwise we become dusty, good-for-nothing intellectuals. It's good to be intelligent. It's good to have theological truths that we hold on to and have conviction about what we believe. But if they aren't personal and practical to the way we live and act and breathe and have our being, then they're, good. they're not helping. Sorry, their ideas in a book. Go to university, get a bunch of those. Ask some of our students, they'll tell you. The world's full of good ideas and nice thoughts. I need something that'll make a difference. And David said, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that everything you're facing has been permitted to come into your life, passing first through the good hand of a good God? Now hear me. That's hard sometimes. It's hard to see that and hard to believe that every child and difficulty passed first through the good hand of a good God. He knows what you're facing. He knows what he's doing. And we know we believe this because of what his word tells us. Because do you remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8? And we know. That all things work together for good to them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. He said it. I believe it. Do you? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Is it possible for God to do wrong? It's not. It is not possible for God to do wrong. Therefore, we understand that everything he's doing is good. I want to read an Old Testament little, little verse for you. Found in the book of Nahum. Normally I have my scriptures already marked out ahead of time. Nahum chapter 1, let me read this. Verse number 7. The Lord is good. I could stop right there. We could say amen and go home because that's a fact. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. And he knoweth them that trust in him. Let me read it again. The Lord is good. That doesn't change whether you trust in him or not. He's good. The Lord is good. Whether you believe God is real or not, he's still good. And he's a stronghold in the day of trouble. Now look here. Some of you are living today in the day of trouble. I know it. Because I've spoken to you. I know many of you are carrying great burdens. And this good God is a stronghold. He's a castle. And he also knows them that trust in him. Do you trust him? Look, it's better to trust him than to trust yourself. 
but with an overrunning flood. Watch this. With an overrunning flood, he will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue his enemies. Now, if you remember in Psalms, David felt like the enemy was coming in like a flood to him. And God says, that's just a figment of your imagination. The reality is, I'm going to come like a flood on them. And if you're in the castle, you're going to be okay. If you're resting and trusting in the presence of Almighty God. Let me give you a few Psalms. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is good to all. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. That's found over and over and over in the Psalms. But do you believe it? The goodness of the Lord, he said, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You know what that means? Look here. That means right now, before I die. Because here's what we all say. Here's what we normally do. Well, when I get to home, when I get to heaven, it's all going to be better. And so what we end up doing is we end up wasting our days on earth below, pining for heaven. By the way, you ought to be looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to my Savior coming back. But until he does come back, it's still possible to see the same goodness of God which is in heaven now down here below. And David said, I would have fainted unless I believed to see that goodness. In the land of the living. Not when I die. I know it'll be perfect when I go to heaven. I know I'll have no more, no more pain and sorrow and no more grief when I go to heaven. I know that. I'll have no more enemies. But I can see the goodness of God now. In this land. In the land of the living. And we just, we've got to believe it. Hudson Taylor said, God is always advancing. God is always advancing. We sometimes we have a big day and we say, oh, wow, God's really moving. We baptized six people. That's amazing. Look, God's always moving. Always. God's always advancing. We come back, say, from outreach and say, wow, a number of people responded to the gospel. That was so encouraging. Look, God is always advancing. Do you believe it? The trouble is when we don't see it the way we want to see it. When it didn't happen as soon as we'd like it to happen, then what do we do? Because some of you are saying, look, I'm I'm not as young as springtime anymore. My time's running out. I still haven't seen the goodness of God like I'd like to see it. So what do I do then? I'm thankful God gives us the answer in verse 14. Wait on the Lord. What do you do when you don't see it when you want to see it? Wait on the Lord. Now, there's a key key expression here. Don't wait on success. Don't wait on your victory. Wait on God. Look for him. Because in seeing him, and seeing him coming to your aid, and seeing him coming to your rescue, and seeing him coming to your life, that's where the victory is found. Don't make victory the goal. Make God the goal. Wait on the Lord Be of good courage and he shall strengthen thine heart. You know, the one thing that needs to be strengthened in all of your world is your heart. That needs to be strengthened, propped up. Your heart, the seat of your emotions and affections. That needs to be strengthened. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I don't know about you, but when I don't see things happening as quickly as I'd like to see them happen, I have a tendency of taking matters into my own hands. 
You ever done that before? And I try to make it happen. But I can't. And you can't. But what you can do is believe to see the goodness of the Lord and wait until you do. Wait. Now, wait doesn't mean you sit back like this. In fact, there's two different, two different meanings to the word wait. If you go to a restaurant and you said that man was, is waiting on us. What's that mean? He's serving you. So wait on the Lord. Whilst you're waiting for him to move, you serve him. Serve him. And you know, the best waiters and waitresses have, have always been the ones who've kept a close eye on the people that they're waiting, serving. The ones who've watched carefully, when they saw that, that glass of Coke go about just below halfway, they're there to top it up again. Or they listen, oh, they heard the cling of a fork fall to the ground, and they come with a clean one before you can even reach down and pick up the dirty one. That's how we ought to wait on the Lord. Eyes on him, ears on him, waiting for him, trusting him, resting in his promises. Let me give you a couple of verses, and then I'll close. 2 Corinthians 4, I, I alluded to these verses earlier in the, in the sermon, but 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 7 the scriptures say, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, sometimes you look at yourself and say, I'm so weak. I can't do anything right. And that's the way God made it. So that you would recognize that it's not you, it's God. The excellency of the power is from God. It's not you. So we're troubled on every side, but we're not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted. That's a fact, but we're not forsaken. All of these things that he's listing are, are facts of the matter. We're troubled. That's on every side. That's a fact. I can't change that. But what I can change is how I respond. Although I'm troubled on every side, I don't let it distress me. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. Meaning I'm not, I'm not without help. I'm persecuted, can't help that, but I'm not forsaken. Because when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. I may be cast down. The enemy may, may have thrown me on the ground, but he can't destroy me. I'm always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Can I just say this? Most of us want a carefree, problem-free walk. Walk in the park. That's not the Christian life. In fact, it's oftentimes in those deepest, darkest moments of our affliction that Christ is seen more clearly. God moves more powerfully. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have in the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. It's, it's an amazing thing that happens when you begin to just take God at his word and then speak it. You know what we do sometimes? We're afraid to say it because we're not quite sure if it's going to happen. Which shows we don't really believe. Believe his word. Don't be ashamed of his word. You have nothing to be ashamed of if it's his word. 
knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you for all things. I love this. All things are for your sakes. Let's make that singular. All things are for your sake. I don't know what valley you're in right now. I don't know what mountain you're up against. I don't know what army has surrounded you, but I do know it's all for your sake. It's all for your good. And we can say like Joseph, you meant it unto evil, but God meant it unto good because there's a sovereign God over all. And no matter how much Satan and the hordes of hell rub their hands together and think that they're laying you low and extinguishing your little flicker of a flame in your life, no matter how much they think they're doing to you, God is smiling from above because he knows that all things work together for good. And this trouble that you're going through right now is for your sake. All things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. The bigger the problem, the bigger the package of grace. It's amazing. God never gives you a big problem without giving you even bigger grace. And people look at it and they give thanks to God for how good he is. For which cause we faint not. I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And now I will not faint because I know it's for my sake and it's for my good. And that in all of this trouble, there's grace to be received. There's power to be experienced. So I'm not giving up lest I miss it. For which cause we faint not. And though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day after day. Day by day. I get discouraged sometimes looking in the mirror. I don't know about you and see my hairs disappearing. And the outward man is perishing. But the inward man, as a child of God, is renewed every day. That's a fact. That is a spiritual fact. And you can't see it. I can see the outward man perishing, but I can't see the inward man being renewed. I can't see it. But it's a fact because God said it. And I don't feel it sometimes. Oh, I feel myself getting older. But I don't, sometimes I don't feel myself spiritually being renewed because the things that we're dealing with that are spiritual can't be seen, sometimes can't be heard with this ear, and they're not based upon our feelings. Though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is, is, is renewed. That's a promise from God. So the next time you feel like all hope is gone, remind yourself, open up his word, meditate on this thought that the inward man is being renewed every single day for our, I love these two verses. These two verses are absolute nonsense to an unbeliever, but someone who has faith, 
our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now, hold on a moment. I just read a list of things that didn't sound like a light affliction to me. I just, a whole list of things. Troubled on every side. Perplexed, persecuted, cast down, always bearing about the dying of the Lord Jesus. And you want to call it a light affliction? Yeah, it is. In comparison with eternity, very light. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. You ever been to a doctor when they either had to give you a, a, a stick of a needle or take blood? So it only hurt for a minute. Go, I'm going to tell you it'll hurt for a minute. And it does. It only hurts for a minute. Now, in the minute, it hurts. But when it's done, it's done. And so in the same way, the trouble you're going through is the most painful experience you could ever imagine. But it's just for a moment. And soon it'll be gone. Soon it'll be past. Hold on to that promise. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, it's actually working for us. So the longer you can endure that affliction, the longer you can endure it, the more that it accomplishes. Now we spend most of our lives running from our problems, trying to get away from problems and having a problem-free life, which is an impossibility. But if you would actually recognize to embrace, the, no, don't go looking for problems, but embrace the problems God sends to you because in those you are strengthened. And in those problems, God is working something. This light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal, eternal weight of glory. Amen. An eternal weight of glory. Not an earthly, temporal thing. And verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. That's where our eyes need to be fixed. I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Some of you this morning are fainting. And Paul wrote to the Galatians, let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't give up. Don't quit. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. God's doing something. You may not see it, feel it, understand it. You don't have to. You don't have to. God knows what he's doing. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, how sweet to call thee Father. We confess we don't understand much that comes our way. We confess our feelings betray us. And even our thoughts sometimes betray us. Help us today to believe to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Increase our faith. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to believe, Lord, that all of these things are for our sakes. That we might be given more grace, which might cause the world to praise and magnify thy name. Help us to get our eyes off of the temporal things and look on the eternal things. 
believing that these challenges are working for us. Increase our faith, Lord. Guide us and help us. For we ask this in Jesus Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.